I think with natural lifestyling and mental fortitude, it's an unstoppable force. You know, it really is because people are starting to it's starting to wake up. I think from the traumas, I, I relate it to trauma. I really do. I think people are still walking around with post-traumatic stress disorder from generation to generation through wars and stuff like that. Right. So, welcome to Social Fabric: Conversations with People about their passion and their interaction with the community. This week's guest is Tony Riddle, also known as the Natural Lifestylist. Tony advocates for a more natural lifestyle where the outdoors, natural movement, and general rewilding of ourselves play a big part. If you enjoy this podcast, there are more on socialfabric.ie, iTunes, Spotify, or whatever you get yours. The songs have been shortened for rights reasons. The show is also broadcast on Dublin's Near FM 90.3 every Monday, 4.30 p.m. Can I call you up a while on a Friday night? We could reminisce on old days and we could talk a while. Just sit and talk a while. Okay, it's a mic. There's Andrea, look, there we go. Socialfabric.ie, we're just about to start recording. Hosting and guesting. There we go, we're ready to go. So, Tony Riddle, thanks a million hosting me and guesting me in your house. Yeah, man. And they give me the time. It's been a good so, morning so far. It's been a great morning so far. It's just that a lovely swim with some of your friends down in the pond. So really, really nice start to the Sunday. But I think I'd like to start from from the end, starting from what, what are you doing at the moment? You're, you're old. Where I'm at right now. Yeah, what are you doing with your rewilding and everything? Just, just to give us an idea. I know a lot of people know you, but for those that don't. Yeah, so I, I'm... I'm known as the natural lifestylist, and I kind of went down that path because I found people couldn't really relate to rewilding. It's becoming more mainstream now, but yeah. a few years back it was a bit like, we're rewilding what? You know, and they couldn't really get to grips with understanding why you'd want to be more like a wild human than what I'd say as a zoo human or someone that's born in the human laboratory of today. And then it all came together because I, as soon as I changed that title of from rewilding through to natural lifestylist, the times um, suddenly got in contact. And then, uh, so I had this double pager in the Style magazine, in Style magazine of the times, you know, for what was rewilding, but under this natural life stylist, so I'm styling nature, you know. And she nailed it in the piece because she said, individually, when you look at it, like, we're all talking about microbiome, we're all talking about movement, we're all talking about sleep, you know, nutrition, play, um, rest and social components like community and human contact and stuff like that but no one's actually put it together as like this one holistic approach which essentially is rewilding a human right because they're all the things that were innate and are innate so that's kind of where it's at at the moment and it, it was born through natural movement really i think that was the that was the acorn of it for me and if i go even deeper into that like the thought of planting the acorn was barefoot running okay. you know so how there was a natural form of running compared to the zoo state of jogging and how we were talking a little bit on the way mm-hmm. and how through jogging we've managed to 80% of us are managing to give up jogging or running through injury whereas how is that possible seems that was that was our specialist subject if you like we were the persistent hunters and if you look at tribes today that are running naturally that can smash out what, four, 400 miles in 50 hours or whatever they're doing and the kids doing 200 miles 
but it's still a physical, social, spiritual experience for them. So what is it they're doing differently? So then you could instantly see that there's a natural form of running versus this. And if that was running, what are the other movement components to that? And then it could grow from there. It's like, oh, that's movement. Okay, well, what does sleep look like in nature? Mm. What does rest look like in nature? You know, simple things like we're doing now, which is ground living. That's about the micro elements of the macro skill of standing. So you've got these hundred different rest positions you can flowing around on the floor with. You don't need yoga, you don't need Pilates, you just need to move well in the environment we have on the floor. And that will then nurture and feed the amazing shape that you need to stand, you need to walk, and then you need that macro state of running. So it's kind of, yeah, just even taking it back to that level. That's where I'm at with it at the moment. It seems to be just shaping within everyday environments of today, how do we make them more growth promoting instead of compromising? So I did a talk at um, Santander recently. The bank? Yeah, it was their asset management. And it's basically set up, they had like a wellness day. And I knew, I know someone in there, he said, look, we'd love to get you in. And so I just started off a talk about, you know, that firstly, the air in the building was such poor quality. And we have to understand that we're spending like, I think it's 83% of the UK um, live in urban, urban settings, urban environments. And we spend 90% of our time indoors, right? So that's divided up between the workspace and the home. And most people, that's more workspace than it is home. So in that space particularly, you're in there for what could be 10, 12 hours. And the air quality is terrible. And you want to have a, a team that are in flow states, creative moments, on it in what they're doing daily. Yet they're feeding the neurotoxins through the formaldehyde, the benzene, the xylene, all the things that they're kicking out in that environment. So I said, before I continue, and I pointed at the guy, and it was his team, and I said, it's your job to get the air purifiers in here. So just a simple thing like air purification. You're just rewilding the air, aren't you? You're just trying to get it back to a state that's, that you, you, you'd want your kids to be in there. Do you know what I mean? Breathing in and out of the air. And then, and then I went round after that and then looked at lighting and the way that they move, and then individually at their desks. You know, these are the things you can be doing. Every 25 minutes, ding, timer goes off. Slide your chair back, hold the desk, do some squats. So at least your, it's, it, your HR department might not be happy with you having a standing desk. So what do you do? You can't all have standing desks and you can't all be squatting on the floor. Mm. But you can slide your chair around, do a few squats, and then do a walk from one end of the building to the other and then go back to the chair. So that was one. Um, and then glasses, like simple amber glasses that would help them in the evening if they have to work late so they're not suppressing melatonin. You know, and that's going into the sleep aspect of it. So it's just simple little things, uploads that they could be doing to transform their own desk area, because that's their responsibility from being a compromising area into a growth promoting state, let's say. Because that's your, pretty much your, your mantra, your tagline, we can't all leave. Live in nature, nature but it doesn't mean we can't live naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so that's small, small little changes daily to and they have to be small like that, right? Because yeah. otherwise what happens is it's the emotional triggers go off. Yeah. We get the emotional spike and guess what we do? We revert back to the first six years of our life and we start looking for pacifiers, you know? So everyone starts smashing the sugar and the, yeah, yeah. And the alcohol and the cigarettes and the cocaine at weekends, whatever they're doing. But that's, so it's about make, yeah, making, trickling in small little changes. I think that's what makes the most benefit for us, you know? And uh, just not specific with Santander, but... Uh, I know you've done some consulting with other companies and so on. Yeah. What's what's the what's the reaction? What's the the uptake? How did they react to what you're telling them to? Well, because it's funny because um, with Santander in particular, I wore a suit 
and I, I never wear a suit. I mean, usually half naked, running around with a man bun on the heath. But um, yeah, I delivered. I just said I wear a suit. You know, still had a man bun, but it was like me in a suit, and I had my 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 um office vivos on, so that I could, you know, they're still barefoot shoes, but they're designed so you could wear them in the office, right? Or to my meetings, and so it just automatically it's just that approach is it's more relatable you know rather than me turning up in my trackies or whatever so they were really open and they're really open because what you're doing is you're basically saying that these are the things you need to be at the top of your game today because this is about mental fortitude it's not some hippie notion oh you've got to reward yourself it's about mental fortitude and with depression on an all high time high a myriad of mental health disease and other diseases at an all-time high we need to get a checkup, and it's our lifestyle. It's just the lifestyle factors of today. We're on it 24-7, right? So when those most people that are at their desk hammering it away, where we would, have, well, we would have all had rest at some stage, but this device in our hand means that we don't rest anymore. We're not typing, swiping. And so I think it, just, it was just relatable for them. Once you start saying that this is about mental fortitude again, and you'll be able to get at the top of your game, it's about being able to perform at that high peak that you want. And, and I think everyone wants that, right? They want to be at the top of their game. So that's a good way to, to spin around for, to make it relatable. Because uh, as you say, the, the first conception is like, ah, oh, it's another hippie doing this. Exactly. Thing, you know, and you know? let's break it up for your first song. You, you didn't give me your song in advance. You've been mulling over it. So, I already have, because it's well, a tough one, Just man. give us one of them. Okay, and, right, tell, okay. and tell me why you picked it. Um, Rose in Spanish Harlem, I mean, it's Benny King. And um, it's just one of my real childhood memories because my mum used to play it all the time in the house. And I remember dancing in the kitchen with her to it. You know? So it's just one of those ones that just... It's a nice memory. It really does, it just brings it up. Music's amazing like that, isn't it? How it just suddenly just... Boom. And that's why it's been tough, because there have been so many moments, and some of them are quite dark, so I've kept those in anyway, because <laughs> I think that's just important. We all want the light, don't we? But we well, don't we'll see how we get on. We might do a second one, you can put another seven in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I might go light, dark, light, dark, light, dark. There is a rose in Spanish Harlem Natural lifestyle is, but uh, one particular uh, a fan of yours, uh, lady called herself Human Mother. That's her, her handle on um, on Instagram. She just uh, she asked me. I should ask oh, you. Oh wow, they've she, asked you. Okay, yeah, yeah, cool. They, they asked me. Um, she asked me to ask you what inspired you to to get into this, to get into the movement and the, the Wim off and. You know, the breath work, all the, all this stuff, what, what, what sparked it? And I suppose it, it's the same kind of question. And at what point, she, she wants to know, at what point, nine to five, you realise nine to five wasn't something that you were going to do on sitting down? I don't think I've had a, a, well, going back to when I was maybe a, a teenager, I think I had a nine till five, you know. I, it goes back to what, what was my inspiration. I, I, I talk about this a lot in, I hold talks and workshops, and I always take it back to, 
that Spanish Harlem time because we were kids growing up in a in a concrete existence, right? And we're talking about this 90% of our time indoors. Mm. My parents' favourite activity was watching TV, right? And that was it, really, for us. And so there was a, there was a wreck near us, and it was called, well, it's called the Gravel Pits. No one was allowed to go there. We were, like, forbidden. And it was, that was, like, green light for us. We were like, yeah, got to go over there. So me and my mates would be... There was a bridge you had to get across, and we'd go across with our fingernails on the bridge like that. And intercity trains blasting by underneath, and we'd manage to get into the wreck. And the shoes were off. We'd be climbing trees, getting in the streams, making rafts, you know, and trying to find the sinking sand, you know what I mean? We've been forbidden to go near. And, and, then when, if, and then if you understand what inspired me, it's those moments. It was those that punctuated in amongst a concrete existence and a family activity of watching television. And I have ADHD. So for me, it's like the worst. It was just feeding the wrong conditions and the nutrition that was going in. So I was like this, you know. And then my dad, who was an engineer, this an engineer who hit the pad, and so does his emotional state, right? So you'd be like, why does he have to keep tapping? And that's like, well, why do you think? I'm sat, you sat me in this room, I can't go anywhere. And I'm, I'm a kid that has loads of energy and I need to get out. So I guess that's that. And then other instances, like out of the many ho- holidays we could have gone, it was always camping for me. Always those kind of nurturing holidays. And then that all went because at the school I went into, it was no longer cool to behave like that. It was more cool to smoke weed, do drugs and joyriding cars, unfortunately. And it just bred the wrong behaviour. But we were still part of a tribe, do you know what I mean? That was, the, that was the thing that was missing. So it was the rites of passage just the same as anything else to be able to be in this boy tribe, the man tribe. Um, and I think that was, again, driven by my dad working so hard and not seeing him. So there was, a, there was a definitely a father-son thing going on there. And then, luckily, on our school grounds, we had an air cadet um, unit, 2424 Squadron. There you go. And um, I joined that, and so did many of my friends, you know. So that we had that weird thing that we were into this behaviour in the school but then we, we could all become, we could all go and do the great stuff we'd go camping and shoot rifles and fly gliders and stuff like that and what age were you? Um, that was 15 I guess by then that was right at the end of it 14, 15 wow and then um, and then I left I left there and then as I left that that school closed down it was like one of the it was you know um, the in-betweeners the headmaster yeah. Yeah. he was my English teacher so give you an idea of the kind of behaviour, he would sit with his feet up on the desk with, Walkman, with his Walkman headphones on. You know? That was how bad the school was. <laughs> you know, people going under desks and stabbing each other in the legs and just, just terrible behaviour. It's the worst environment to learn in. Of course, I didn't do very well in that environment. So when I left, I, I, I went to college. And in college, I decided I wanted to study electronic engineering and um, random. And... It just felt like, again, it was the same behaviours, but I was no longer with this air cadet. So, it was, again, it got into the same um, experience of drugs and bad behaviour and just in and out of trouble with police and stuff like that. It was, just, it was nuts. And I think to escape it, I just said, I'm going to join, I'm going to go in the army. Well, I didn't. I tried to join the RAF. So, I went to the RAF based on the air cadets. And um, they were no too young. <laughs> So I went right next door to the army cadets and I joined there. And it's my form of escapism, really. I think if I analyse it now, mm. maybe not thinking that at the time, 
but now it definitely feels like it was a way of me trying to escape that behaviour because I knew it was just going the wrong way, mm. totally. At least you were able to recognise it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, however that was. And then that just helped feed the physicality again of being out and being on assault courses and just all the stuff I know I love doing. So I guess its, its roots are in that. That's what's inspired me. But then I had, I've had amazing mentors and coaches along the way that yeah, just being there at that right moment yeah. of growth, you know, that's been the amazing thing for me as well. That's always fascinating. You just mentioned a mentor and a, a proper influencer, I like to call them, mm. the people that really... Can you pinpoint one or two or one of them that you really go, he knew or she knew? Yeah, there's a, there's a cousin of mine called Lee Saxby and he's like known as the um, lead, world's leading expert in barefoot running. So he had a Pilates studio and... Um, he said, after I came out of the army, and there was, I, went, I, I, did, I had a year out of the army and I slipped right back into the same patterns. Just getting in trouble left, right and centre and things weren't going great for me and I probably experimented at that stage with every drug there was on the planet and it was, just, it was just crazy. But at the same time, I loved the gym, so I was in the gym. So I got, on one side of it, I got obsessed with how I maybe looked in a t-shirt and then on the other side, I was still dealing with suffering that was coming from somewhere and self-medicating, right? Just dealing with that, um, pacifying whatever the suffering was. And, and he said, look, you know, why don't you just, why don't you become a personal trainer, man? This is like crazy, you're in great shape, you love it. And that was, that was, kind, of the, that was kind of the ignition for me. And so I ended up again, just by luck, I ended up in an amazing personal training outfit in Beaconsfield, a town that was near us. And I used to cycle there like 12 miles and do my shift and then cycle back. And the woman there was ahead of the game, like already phoning all the Swiss balls, course ability, way, way, way back, 22 years ago, I guess. And she just, she just said, oh, you've got, you, you're good at this. She said, look, well, how about we just, we're going to turn you into freelancer. We don't want you on the books. It will just, you know, encourage you to want to maybe do more. And, and so it grew. And then at the same time, the same cousin said, look, I've got this Pilates studio, Why, do you want to have a look at it? So I'd then do a day where I'd be almost doing an apprenticeship and studying for that. And then I landed a number in a, um, in a metal trading company called Mara Hayden, and it just had three directors in there. So my role was to be there to train them. And that meant sometimes not training anyone. So it just gave me a, an opportunity to study more. And that was all around the anatomy physiology. So I kind of went into a rehab background through Pilates. <clears throat> And then through that, we met probably the most important person, I'd say, in my coaching life, which is a Professor Romanov, who was a track and field coach in the Soviet era. And he developed the pose method. So the pose method of running. Most running models of today, injury-free running, like that can be Vivo Barefoot's model, its origins really, is, there's a tie in there to pose because he came up with a specific posture that everyone has to go to when they run. Which then, if you take that pose and you put it to all the natural runners in the world, they're doing it. It's just that we created a jogging posture based on city, seat, being seated and footwear. So he kind of broke that down and could analyse it and give you coaching cues. But he went beyond that. He, because in, in the Soviet era, the coaches there, they had to go through like a 10-year degree. And they were like film stars because they were training the most elite athletes on the planet. Mm. Trying to train super, super beings almost. Mm. So his background, his coaching background, just blew our minds. It was suddenly talking about gravity and ground reaction force and body weight and 
how if you had all this stuff aligned and you, you created the right outcome of muscles and tendons and minimised the risk of injury. And then at that moment, it then led to someone else because there's a guy called Erwan Lacour who now has MoveNet. And there was another lady called Tara... Um, she had set up um, Wild Fitness, Tara Wood. And so with Wild Fitness, Wild Fitness is about setting up retreats and the retreats were to turn zoo humans into wild humans. But unfortunately, the same exercises were in the zoo that she was teaching, but in Watamu, Kenya. But it was still zoo exercises. It wasn't natural. You know? right. And then we could see like parkour on the fringes and free running and stuff like that. Well, Erwin basically got parkour and put it back into nature. And it was like, wow, this is amazing. So he filmed this great thing in Corsica, this great video of him. And it wasn't called Moon at that stage. It was just, you know, just Erwan, you know, this guy. So we started hanging out with him. And then suddenly we found ourselves in Primrose Hill, like just near us now. And we were walking around just shorts of our tops off and just in the park and just rolling around doing animal movements and climbing trees and just exploring that same physicality. That, and it helped me reconnect immediately to what I'd experienced in the army. It was like, wow, okay, I've got this is it. And then that, mean that, that meant that he, he knew all the movements, but he didn't have Nicholas's filter. So then you could basically take Nicholas's model of how people are doing that in nature. It's different between Andrea, say, now, um, used to sitting in a chair, um, wearing foot, certain footwear and clothing that would inhibit certain cycles and your tribe of influence. Who you've been surrounded by is basically your petri dish of how you will move, explore, experience. And so it meant that if you basically took Erwan's model and applied Nicholas's model to how natural beings would be doing that, it, would, it just was incredible. And so that was, the next, that was the next influencer, really, I would say. So his model was just flying now. Um, he's just released a book now as well about natural movement, which is brilliant. And in there, again, it will cover all the ground resting positions because you have to honour that work before you go and do the rest, you know. So I guess they're, they're real... Yeah, they're not, I'd say they were real influencers for me, if I really look back. Brilliant. Yeah. Let's bring it up with a second song, because I have a lot <laughs> more to ask you. Yeah, it's Dire Straits, Money for Nothing. Ah, lovely. One of my favourites. Yeah, man. Um, it reminds me, because I didn't have many moments I'd play with my dad, and this is a bizarre moment, but he would... Um, we used to go ice skating at a local rink. One of my friends, um, Phil and I, and he was like a best buddy. His parents split up, so he moved into my house. But my parents didn't know, but he was pretty much living at our house. And, um, and then there was one occasion my dad had to pick us up. It was like, no one could have picked us up. It just happened he was available. And all the joy riders in the car park of this thing would be doing donuts in the car park. And he turned up in his Granada 2.8 Gear X, whatever it is at that moment. And he was doing these massive donuts in the car park. It was just a really cool moment. And he had Dire Straits playing. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it, but it also reminds me of being, like, being in the car and, and they, they, smoked, they smoked a lot, my parents. So it's like that secondhand smoke, but something, something about the smell and the music and the warmth of the car just that it's uh, music again it's interesting huh? it's fabulous because I hate the idea of smoking the second yeah, yeah. smoke but that was it's just a big memory Turn on the MTV. That ain't working. That's the way. 
stay with your, again, we're gonna go all over the place, but we'll, we'll get to a couple other things in a minute. But what I'm curious about, so your current, uh, let's call it business, you're a social entrepreneur, would that be the right thing? Yeah, you, yeah. You, what you're doing, obviously, you need to make a living like the rest of us, but you, what you're doing, it's helping others to rewild and, yeah. and all of do you like first of all tell me how you do that is it is it online is it one-on-one tell me how how does it actually work depends on the client i've got a kid that i'm mentoring who's in denmark so we skype okay and then i have others that i have a a practice i've got an actual practice which is in camden we're about to move to great portland street that's um that's a studio space and people come in and we usually enter it through movement that could be anything and it gives an opportunity to get onto a mat, move, talk, and then I get to hear about all their physical kind of aspects, and then that starts to tie into their social and spiritual. And then I hold talks, workshops, retreats. So it depends on where, where they want to enter. I might have someone that, I think I've got someone on Monday, it's about digestion. But you know, and then the digestion will be, ah, oh, okay, there's, where do we go with digestion? Okay, we, we look at your microbiome, we then look at the way that you're moving, possibly, your sleep, everything will be tied into it. Yeah, because my, my next question is, uh, I'm curious about it, and the, the clients that come to you, obviously yeah. come for a variety of reasons, but is there a thread across, you know, um, people come looking for you, for your advice, for your, is it normally just physical or is it a bit more to it, is it they're it's, looking for something? There's so much to it, I just, I just wrote a piece in, um, that's going to be in Men's Health, and they were asking, you know, what's the, what's who comes to see you, what's the clientele, workshops even. And it's so mixed, it's gone from like, it could be students to billionaires, right? And then it can be elderly to top athletes, like world-class boxers. And, and, but there is, there's, a, there's something in there, you know? And it's really about nature. So I've been privy to some amazing lifestyles. I mean, pl- flown around by private jet, you know, and it doesn't matter where people think they are on that monetary successful ladder, it's if their fundamental needs aren't met, they're pretty unhappy and most of them are sick. But the positives that come from that are, you know, this notion that money can't buy happiness. Money can buy happiness, just you need to know what to spend it on, right? We need to know that it's, you need to get your needs met, not necessarily what your wants are, but your needs. And so we could see through anyone that I see, and the billionaires are just an example of it, that the more nature you put into their life, the happier they are the more profound the state they can reach, you know. And then it depends where you access that and you know, where you go with it. You know, that could be any aspect of nature. It might be bringing back fundamental rites of passage, you know. It could be working with plant medicines. It could be, you know, just someone just working with toga, like foot exercises, any of that. But it's still uploading nature. So where they come from, I guess, is another question. That's I get a lot of referrals. It's a lot of referrals. But also I still have this... I still have like a stable of clients that I've been coaching now for, um, I think one of them I've had for 20 years. You know, so that's been this full evolution with me. And, 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 and watching them, they're still mo- they're, they're moving better than ever. But they've, I've, they've been with me since when they were 50, and now they're at 70, you know. And, and for them, again, it's like, wow, you know, I, didn't, I never thought at 70 this would be 70. You know, just because they'll be sitting like us, they'll be squatting, they'll be hanging off the rails in the tube, sleeping in air purified rooms, you know, just looking at their social ape as well within them, you know. 
So I think it's just it's it's, it's anyone because yeah. any any upload from nature yeah. is nature's cure. It just makes us feel. I guess the, states of well-being. Yeah, I guess the reason I'm asking is it's that conversation we're having when we're walking here about the social media and, and the, the positive effect. Like and this morning was the perfect example. I joined your your small group this morning was a it wasn't a particularly nice morning yeah. for a swim, but you know the, the, a few of your friends were there, and then this girl showed up, and she obviously knew you through social media, and it's great, it's positive, it's somebody. But I always, I'm always curious. Um, I mean, I don't know if a guru is the is the is the right word, but you know, are people looking for the guru, the the person to follow? Through social media, and yeah. do you know, like you, you, course, you have a person, you know, yeah, you have a public persona. You put stuff out there, yeah. and you know, for all the right reason. Don't get me wrong, but it, and I'm just curious. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, back in the '60s, when all the Indian gurus came over to the West, and everybody just had to fall. And then we were on the cusp of a, a revolution that had happened. Are we there now? Is it something going to happen? You mentioned it. People are starting to understand this mental fortitude and mental wealth. Are we going to make it a proper change based on... I was at like, a talk in Ibiza. This kind of sums it up, really. Yeah. And it was um, Hancock was there, and he's talking about psychedelics, and um, Graham Hancock talking about psychedelics and marijuana. And my friend Christian asked, you know, there's all this research going on with psychedelics and do you think we're there now? Do you think we've now hit that point and it's breaking through and we can start, you know, carrying off where we were in the 60s and 70s? Do you think we've got that? Do you think we're there? And he said, look, we've been saying this for years with marijuana. You know, he said, we're going to legalise this. He said, you have to remember it's always on a knife edge of that stuff. Anyway, that was, that's another story. I think with natural lifestyling and mental fortitude, it's an unstoppable force. You know, it really is because people are starting to starting to wake up. I think from the traumas, I, I related to trauma. I really do. I think people are still walking around with post traumatic stress disorder from generation to generation through wars and stuff like that. Right. So, firstly, we're dealing with that. I believe. Then we're dealing with this 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 disconnection from nature that people are just suddenly oh, I'm reconnecting to something, and I do feel social media. It has its negatives, of course it does, but it also has lots of positives. Mm. It opens you up to, ah, okay, I could be doing that in the morning. Why, why, why am I doing that in the morning? Why am I, why am I waking up groggy? Why am I got this going on when these guys are doing this? And like we've asked with the swim, look at the guys, look at David and Stephen with the swim rides. That's insane what they get going on there with the numbers of people that are going. And then with Wim's work, I mean, Wim I see as a guru. Wim, I really do, you know, just because he just has that presence and that ability. I've been to one of his workshops with 250 people there. And you know what, if he has to have a label as guru, that's brilliant, because you know what, these, this next one in February, they've sold out 500 slots on, and they're trying to get another 500 in by filling the stands. And what he's doing there, in terms of depression and mental fortitude, he's, shift, he's basically just knocking walls down there with what he's doing. And when you really understand, it's just about neurochemicals, that's all it is. And I, and I think through simple things like re-educating people on movement and play, you can access a, a whole abundance of neurochemicals, right? Hugging, like simple hugging, like the morning hugs we do with the guys here. Oxytocin is like one of the simplest hormones to, to happy hormones to get. You just have a hug and then it's like, oh, wow, why are we, why are we like, hardly making eye contact with anyone? 
And then you go from hugging to hug for longer, you get serotonin. So you've got two happy hormones in there, just from hugging someone. Slightly off track there, but I think... Um, no, no, I, I didn't I mean to be negative. Many, I think as many gurus as possible, but I just think, I think almost that it's the term, isn't it? I think yeah. it's the term gurus. I, I worked with this guy called Alan Dolan. He, he was labelled as the breath guru until you spent time with him. And he said, no, I'm not the breath guru. You're going to become your own breath guru. That's the point. And I think if we went with that mentality... Of, yeah, that's, that, that, that's, why, know, that was, that's the answer I was I hoping for. I think we for. all need to become our own guru. That's the point. And, it, and I, taught, I teach this in nutrition. Because nutrition, like, there's, there's a few books up here, right? There's a few ones with diet at the end of it, right? But it's sheer arrogance to think I know what Andrea needs right now and what you need to eat. Because there's so many factors to it. But what you need to do is have your own book on the shelf, you know? But the problem with that is we've lost our innate abilities. So the innate abilities were the, the foraging ape, the hunter-gatherer that could move through a landscape, be a landscape, take on the sensory input of what that landscape is, and not be overwhelmed by the first six years of pacifying foods that are usually sugar, dumbing down that sensory force, and it is a force, so they can move through a landscape and they know intuitively what they need to eat, like other animals do. They even eat other animals' poo because they need the... the digestive end the bacteria and so if we can get to a point with that and then we can use tech so tech enables us to do that we can access a world of tech get your microbiome tested get to understand what your cells need and then understand as a foundation what it is you should be eating i guess and then you then you that's a step to becoming your own guru yeah. i think with sleep as well because there's a talk of how many hours sleep do you need and nobody knows how many hours sleep they need of course you don't but the only way you'll find out is go and live in nature Go and live without artificial light. Go and clean up the air and clean up the community that you're staying with. Don't absorb any weird information before bed. And then you'll get a positive outcome of what your sleep is. And then what you have to do with that is then mimic that environment in the human zoo. Yeah. So then you set up things like around lighting and room temperature and materials that you're sleeping with and noise pollution, all those factors. And then you'll remain in what should be a more aligned, your own aligned state of sleep. Which means then when you wake up in the morning, you're not groggy, you're alert. Because, believe me, hunter-gatherers can't afford to wake up and no. hit the snooze button. They're on it the moment they wake up, do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's just, I guess it's just, the guru is to try and find out what your own natural state is. So then that would actually, to answer to that, would be nature is the guru. Okay, yeah, like that. Give me a song number three. Oof. OPP by Naughty by Nature. Right, tell me about that. That's, so that's a song I don't know. So. Other people, yes, OPP. Yeah, you know me. Other people's <laughs> property. So I, when I was at, this is this is at college, I think, and um, me and my friend Phil, and we suddenly start, started hanging out with this guy Ray and his sister, and they were into DJing and what was the early kind of hip hop kind of culture, and we just went off on one with it and it was like one of the tracks I remember going into this party and it was the first scene we'd walked into that was like a hip hop scene almost and it was just such a it was mind blowing because I think before that you know I was going to put up a track that was going to be Stone Roses Sally Cinnamon because we were smoking weed and going and going out and, and, and just you know just listening to, to Stone Roses and this was suddenly it was like wow what is this and people were like with their trousers rolled up and gang signs and stuff like that it was just a very, it was just a very different moment I think it was like a path suddenly went <laughs> and an elevation I guess into a different culture <laughs> altogether wonderful
you mentioned uh, nutrition in this part of what you provide as a service to your clients and, and you, you I think you coined that that uh, flexitarian is that you coined that no so no it's come from a friend of mine um, Diego Castro he is a um, raw chef world-renowned raw chef he's from Argentina and um, we were doing a retreat and I think I met him on a, in a ceremony somewhere and then he just we, we kind of gelled and I said I'm doing a retreat it'd be really good to get you on board to maybe run a, a course at the end of it so um, it just meant it brought raw vegan food into what was considered rewilding as in paleo primal you know that kind of food group so everyone has to be smashing marrow and stuff like that and drinking bone broth um, that we could actually have a raw based chef, you know, so it was just quite revolutionary. And on that particular retreat, I said I'd like to operate as 95% plant based, like most of the Blue Zones, 95% plant based, Taramara running people, 95% plant based, primates, ape kingdom, bonobo, chimpanzee, 95% plant based. So it seemed like there was this even evolutionary to being that. Now, Diego is really strict, raw, vegan for X amount of time. And we made, we, we'd made a bone broth. And he said, you know, I'll, okay, I'll try it. He said, I'm no, I, I don't class myself as a vegan vegetarian. Do you know what I am? I'm a flexitarian. So it kind of came up in that moment. Um, but he's not, I'm I, trying to think where it came from. He wasn't, it was someone else had mentioned it. And then but regardless, is that, what is the flexitarian then? They just have you describe it as just for... I describe it this way. There's a best way to explain it. There's a guy called, he's known as the Viking who lives in Ibiza. And... Um, he sailed from, I think, Ibiza to Australia. Um, single man sailing, right? And he, when we arrived, we were talking about the Walls Protocol, which is Terry Walls' work, which is really what your cells need. She's, she studied cellular biology, had MS, was in a wheelchair, and then she shows herself doing a TED Talk, standing up, presenting images, completely coherent, showing her. She basically studied cellular biology and what the cells need. First of all, by supplements, and then realised she could get it in the plant kingdom. Plus the animal kingdom, but really not domesticated, grain-fed, antibiotic-fed animals. Um, anyway, so she... Um, I've completely lost track, Andrew. <laughs> it's okay. It's just that... I do describe the flexitarian. Oh, yeah. So, so, um, so, so we were talking to the Viking... There we go, the Viking, about the Wolves Protocol. And he said... Um, it sounds all sounds great, but it's all a bit strict. I prefer to be much more flexible than that. He says, when I'm at sea, he said, I don't eat. He said, I'm purely a breatharian. He said, I just survive off the elements. And then we're like, wow, like a breatharian. Tell us about that then. And he said, when I arrive in a city, I feel that it's really ramped up in the city and I need protection. He said, and at that point, I'll eat meat. And he said, and when I'm here in Ibiza and it's really hot, and, it's, and I, he said, I go raw and I might be fruitarian. And I guess it's going back to that more intuitive, nurturing way of eating for me, is I would class as a, as a flexitarian, mm. is that it depends on the environment. Like, try being a raw vegan um, Eskimo. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, you have yeah, to look yeah. at geographic locations of where you are and what's available and what's the diversity, what's, what's available in that current area. Um, yeah, that's the way I kind of view it as a flexitarian. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It, it makes it. But we evolved since then. We, we kind of went, you know, we, we really went um, vegan for a while, a long while. And then when we moved back into London again, it just felt 
oh, there's something missing. So then we then said, right, okay, let's just play with it. And then we've gone back to plant-based. So plant-based, I'd say we're 95% plant-based, but occasionally we have a little bit of fish. Um, and then we know someone that has land and they control, they have to basically deal with the number of deer on the land because we've taken their predator away being the wolf. So they have to deal with numbers. So occasionally it's like, right, we have some deer. So um, do you want to try it? And then of course we have it. So it's just, I guess it's, yeah, it's where you feel you are yeah, on that path, really. Yeah. Makes sense. What's your song number four? It's, a, it's another one. This is called The Burial, and it's a drum and bass <laughs> track. You're going to love that. And um, so from my naughty by nature, we then got into like the rave culture. It was like the rave scene. And there was a friend of ours, um, Becky, and a girl I dated called Junie, and they'd always they'd be going they go crazy over this piece of music and it just really throws me into that scene and again how different that scene was and I think different as in the sense it brought people together again that rave scene like a collective emotion there's even studies around hooliganism in you know, football culture food tribal isn't it? and how the rave scene basically meant those guys were going in taking ecstasy all loved up and then going to the matches of the weekend you know and it just changed the whole the whole culture changed in that in that so um, yeah I think that one of those tracks for me has to be the burial drum and bass lovely house I met your uh, your family uh, beautiful kids and uh, your little one just there uh, uh, oh, she, she, she was just gorgeous and not the dealers were but she was very uh, but parenthood right it's always a tough one it doesn't matter what you do you know parenting is not easy I find but also I'm just curious about your parenting in an environment that you're trying to change and and how how do you deal with all that so in terms of everything it goes with you know friends and schooling and everything that goes with parenting yeah well, we we don't do school we okay. we unschool um so we don't even homeschool we unschool which is what's unschool that you just don't don't have a curriculum okay and so let's say you and I, up until the age of seven, we're operating at a certain frequency. Well, it's up until the age of two, it's a different frequency. It's about two hertz and it goes to four to six and then um, five to eight up until the age of seven. So they're really deep frequencies that they start off like, well, we're almost on the brink of death, like with proper depths of sleep. That's up until the age of two, that's why baby's always falling asleep. Mm. And then we go into another frequency, and basically that's what you and I can achieve, dream of achieving almost in deep meditation. They're in that. And so those first years are where we're really absorbent. And Maria Montessori wrote about it's called the absorbent mind. But I've cracked it through thinking about these frequencies is that it could be, right, tell me about that piece of music. And I have that moment of time for the listeners and you to tell you about that. And that's the same as Tallulah right now. I want to hear about that. And you, you have that window. And then once they're done, they're done. They're off. And so 
that's that's kind of where we're at with un- unschooling. It's the kids are leading it. It's child-led learning, but it's it's unstructured, and that can seem like chaos to people because we love our structure. But you're either good at exams or you're not good at exams, right? But post exams, you retain five percent of that information because we're not absorbent learning it, right? But if you teach people like all the amazing biological needs that they need to survive and to thrive and to grow as a human being, it's a different form of education altogether. And so I think that's the primary role of a parent, really, in my mind, is to be the change. It sounds so cliche, doesn't it? But be the change because it's our behaviours they're observing. And then they go with those behaviours and then their children then observe theirs and and so it goes on. So they're in a state where they're recording our pasts, our present, to become their future. Because once you're done at the age of seven learning all that stuff, that's the tapes that you play out for the rest of your life. That's the crazy part, right? That's like, they're the foundations of everything. So as a parent, I guess that was our, that's been our main thing. And so with Lola, she we lived in a square in Windsor. It was like a really just beautiful square. Just wasn't our tribe. You know, everything about it was beautiful. It just wasn't our tribe. But she wanted to go to school at that point. And my mum was driving. It was, well, you've got to send them to school. They've got to, how are they going to socially integrate and all this stuff? And really put the fear on it. And we just said, Lola, what do you want to do? She said, I'd like to go to school. So we're like, okay. And it was, it was killing me, knowing that my daughter would have to go and sit in a classroom all day and just be just fed information that she might only retain a moment of it because the girl next to her might be having her absorbent moment and going, yes, yeah, amazing. And Lola would be going, I don't understand it. Why don't I understand it? Because she's not being absorbent. And then... So we said, okay, so once, once, if, if whenever you want to leave, just tell us. So she came back after, I think it was about three weeks, she was already biting her nails. It was like watching a different child, completely shifted. And for me, that was really terrifying because we're all these innate, powerful beings. We go to school and we spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out how to become empowered or wear an empowered T-shirt. But really, we have all the power, it's in our hands. It's just the environment that we're in that will shape it. And so we, she just said, I don't want to go to school anymore. And we're like, yes, you know, and we got her out. But then we had to jump through loads of hoops to get her out because they caught her up against the egos and everything. Then. Whereas Millie, she never went to school. And then Tallulah won't, won't go to school until one day when they decide, because it's, again, it's their child-led learning. If they want to do it, they can do it. Um, they go to forest school now. So they, on a Thursday, we drop them off at 9.30 in the morning out in Boreham Woods in North London, in the woods, and it's a guy, very similar story, that his son was at school. And the guy's a teacher. And you can see that his son was such a conformist and his behaviour was just being moulded. And he just hated it. And he's like, how do we do this? They couldn't financially do it. And yet they were living on this land that was a girl guides unit. And so he negotiated a deal with them. Could he run a forest school? It meant they could run a forest school two days a week, which they do. Our kids go to the Thursday. And his kid could then, they, they could do what they wanted. And he is very different again. There's lots of child-led learning there. But also it's about the environment. So you're teaching them how to make fires and build shelters. And again, physical needs. But they still have subjects along the way. But it's almost like the kids are the ones that want to raise the subject that needs to be taught and yeah. learned, you know. So we go down that path with them. And then the environment, of course, that our kids grow up in. So Lola, to start, be quick with this, but she, she had... We carried, she carried in slings. Katarina was amazing. Like, I mean, Katarina is the one you want to get on here about education. It's yeah. kind of her field. She was, she's been a teacher, studied psychology, and, and is way up on unschooling. 
But we kind of went down this path of slings and we still had a stroller, we had a car seat. And then Millie came along, born at home. Lola was born in a natural birthing unit, Millie was born at home. And then, so around about the age of three, I think, for Millie, I was looking, I could see Lola's posture doing this in a trip-trap chair, sitting at the table eating something. I was like, right, we're done. Right, that's the furniture gone. Because I'm teaching all this stuff, I know it, but I'm, I'm observing my kids go, what, in the future, I'm the one who has to, get, again, empower them, deal with their posture that I've broken in these first years. So let's get rid of that. And then we return back to ground living. So we start ground living. So just making simple little changes like that. To, to other people, it seems extreme. Yeah, yeah. But really, it's not extreme what we're doing now, you know? Not at all. And uh, as I had the pleasure of spending 10 minutes with, with them while they were getting ready to go out. And when they're, one, incre- they're incredible kids, beings, yeah. right? They well, really wonderful. are. They're, they're wonderful, normal kids. And they're really, co- you know, they're confident. And what's really come out of it, I think, is that social integration. So the biggest fear for people when we speak to them, oh, how do you socially integrate? And this goes back to social media again. As we were talking, you know, you could, be, you could go anywhere. We went to Ibiza for a year. We just slipped straight into a community there. Because you can find communities on Facebook. You can find communities anywhere. Um, that's the, that, I think that's the beauty of these times. But also within unschooling communities and homeschooling communities, the kids are of all age groups. So you're not socially integrating them all at the same age. They can literally communicate with anyone. And that's, that's power again. I think that's how it should be and how more would relate more to the natural outcome of a tribe. You know? And just for the record, after being scared of me, Tallulah, for the first two seconds, she gave me the best hug of the day. <laughs> Your one was good, but hers was better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She extra. held on. She held she on to the serotonin hug. Was fantastic hug. Intuitive hugging. She knows. <laughs> Give me the next song. Uh, oh, wait, let me check. One, two, three, four. <laughs> um, the Gotan Project. Have you heard yeah, Gotan Project. Love Tango that. Square. Yeah. So, um, fast forwarding a bit, I, I had a Pilates studio. Um, and I just discovered, I think we discovered Gotan Project, Project and it was on the whole time, on a, like a loop. And um, I just got obsessed by it. And it was just one of those moments I remember in the studio, that piece of music when it first came on. Wow, this is this is something else. It was so different, you know. You mentioned a couple of things there, talking about your kids uh, and uh, you know the way they unschooling is through a different age groups, which is really important in the community of that intergenerational interaction. You know, because yeah. that's that's the dark side of the the social media, from my point of view, is that they it's all the echo chamber, it's all peers talking to one another. And there's really nobody balancing and say, well. I've done that before, you know, I've done that when I was 16 and I can yeah. tell you it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then as a community then, I know you, you, you were saying you've been kind of nomad a little bit, you've been moving around. So how do you nurture that community, that, for you, all of you, for the whole family, how do you nurture the community? Is it a community where you are now or, you know, where, where is your community? 
Well, where is now? It's, uh, even like the, the the swim this morning. Yeah. I mean, the numbers they're they're low today, aren't they? Because I guess because of the rain. Um, but there's a few people out, and that started off. There was just Niall and myself, I think, just go to the ponds. And then another one would see it and they go, oh, that looks amazing. And then it suddenly's like, the next one would yeah. come, the next one would come next. So that's kind of, rather than, I always looked at community that if you can't find a community to join, what do you have to do? Create one. You have to create one yeah. without the guru status, do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? There's a, there's a, um, I was having a conversation with Bruce, Bruce Parry, you know Bruce Parry, right? So Bruce, I was at Bruce's place and we were talking about community. And, and and along with someone else that I've spoken to about this, who's just on a different spectrum of wealth, oh, I'd love to set up a community. And I say, but there's a problem with that, isn't there? Because you're setting a community yeah. up. Um, I think that's what has to be removed from that. Yeah, it's and not it's, necessarily geographical. It's yeah, you just have to basically. I think you just wherever you are, if you if you you can time through social media and find a group of people to tag along. If I moved to Greystones, I know where I'd be. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. I think it's that, and it's just, it's, I guess it's finding people of the, the right kin, isn't it? It's finding people of, the, of your tribe, who you'd want in your tribe, who you'd want to be in a tribe with. Mm. Um, but I guess my question is, you mentioned the Blue Zones a couple of times. I'm a great yeah. fan of Dan Butner and what he's been doing. And, uh, and coming from Italy, we did have, we did, I should say did, I suppose now I don't know, I've been lived there for a long time, but we did have that community dash from the child to the grandparents, the great-grandparents and everybody else on the street. And the, and what you're talking about, the swimming, it's great, absolutely it's great, but that daily, you know, that daily need, daily I still hit. have that daily need of walking down the street and be able to say hello to 20 people and knowing yeah. that if I can walk into a shop with no money in, and, you know, I can get the grocery and walk yeah. home and go back the next day. That, that to me, is community. Yeah. Which is slightly different what you Well which is what we've nurtured here. We do have that in Hampshire, okay. like in artichokes. I could go yeah. into artichokes, the woman in there in the mornings, it might be in the morning. No, don't worry about that. Okay. You know, have you tried this? Have you tried this sample? LLS again, like Christmas time we went in, they bought the kids all presents for okay. Christmas. So I, again it's it's who you invite in and with LLS it was very simple. I'd go in there, I think this is amazing, I, you know, it's just complimentary. Would you like to come and do this? And it, it, I guess it's you're putting it in the community. It's, I think the community is just... Commu- See, the thing is, community is just one component of the social need. The social need is family, friends, community, which is the basis of the tribe. And then you have roles. And then you have interdependence. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, like with the social media community, the problem is there that it's that it doesn't really honour interdependence in a way because everyone's showing is the algorithm controlling you or are you controlling the algorithm if you're all showing the same behaviour it's the same cookie cutter model it's like a bigger version of independence rather than interdependence interdependence is this is my skill set I want to be of service like with the swim the, the, the Sunday morning swim last week I was like okay who's going to come I'm going to be of service I'm going to do an hour movement beforehand I'll coach it and then Whoever wants to join in, do this and do this. So I guess, again, it's just it's establishing roles within it and who you want to be and what you want to offer and can you be of service. I think being of service is probably an important way of understanding your position in a community and whether you're putting something in. Because if people don't feel like you're putting anything into something, do they really want to be part of something? No, and that's great because obviously 
we've we spoke about wealth and wealth we always um refer to wealth and we refer wealth as always money but it's not wealth. you know your wealth is is your knowledge and your knowledge to be able like i was i purposely got in early this morning about 15 minutes early to see what was what was that all about you know what was the ponds all about you know? yeah and then I start to see the people coming in, and I kind of kind of guess who was going to come to meet you, you know, just I suppose. And I was trying to figure out, um, but it was interesting to see the people coming in, and I was in my head, I was like, okay, they're coming to see to 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 breathe and swim with Tony. I wonder why, and I was formulating my own idea, but it's great, it's great to see I mean, people arrive, and then they left with a smile, and we went for a nice breakfast, and that's. That's yeah. your service and Chris's service, and yeah, and uh, so it's, it's great. That's uh, that's nice. I like this being of service now. I think it's. I think it's. A, I think it's. Um, it's. It's good for us to to give, isn't it? It really is. It really is good. It to really give. is. I'm not sure whether that. I don't know whether it even comes of age. That I think it's just. I guess even with coaching, like if we if we could do it, for, like if we didn't have to have, if we didn't have to worry about money, right? If no one had to pay, like I have to pay for this place. I've got yeah. three kids, and we unschool. Yeah. And, Otherwise, it would be a simple formula, because I'm I'm I I really love what I do. That's the thing. I don't class myself as having a job. I class myself as having a lifestyle, and um, and part of that lifestyle is I need I need I need money for it. But it would be an amazing space. If, imagine that if we just went into that incredible space of real interdependence, where we just this is my gift, and someone else gives their gift, and we yeah. and we rotate around the world like that. Yeah. Go back to the Barton method. Yeah, man, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? Yeah, <laughs> remove so much fear as well, wouldn't it? Absolutely. Give us your next song, and then we're getting closer to the end. Um, Trouble by Ray Lamontagne. Oh, I love that one. It's a really funny one to relate it to, but. I was, Katerina was um, heavily pregnant, right? And we were living in West Hampstead. We're in Hampstead now, West Hampstead. And um, she was in her kitchen. For some reason, I, was, I, I wanted to iron my shirts, because I don't know why, anyway. I just, this is my way of dealing with the fact she was just about to have a baby any second. It really was any second. And trouble was on in the background. And it just, and it just, we were just somehow laughing about trouble and this situation and we're going to go back and forth and we wanted to go to this birthing unit and every time we'd arrive at the birthing unit they were like, nope, not dilated enough and then go back home again. It was like this constant like this with trouble playing on in the car and the kitchen. It was just like a repeat. <laughs> Got a groundhog day with trouble, can you imagine? Funny situation. And then finally, it just got to the stage, I was like, do you know, I don't care, we're not driving back, we're staying here, so if she's not dilated enough, she's going to have to be not dilated enough, because this is really stressful, that's probably why she's not dilated. And then, trouble was over, it was done. Trouble Trouble, 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 trouble Trouble been dogging my soul since the day I was born Worry, 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 worry just will not seem to leave my mind alone. Just uh, coming towards the end of it, and uh, I mentioned this uh, man a few times off the chat with you because I, I think he's a fabulous, fabulous yeah. character, and I know he's a, it's a great fan of yours, and you probably know each other, I'm not sure, yeah. but. Uh, and, uh, and I mentioned a few times with some of my guests for different reasons, but his whole idea 
of change in the way we, we look at traditional medicine and really looking at what we've been talking about this morning and what we were talking to your friend Chris about, you know, if you have a problem with your knee, maybe it goes back to something else. How do you see that? Do you see, like I know he's been a great uh, um, pioneer, I suppose, yeah. you know, with his public persona as well, it helped because of the BBC. How do you see that developing? Is it happening? Is it happening here in the UK that... GPs are taking on this new, you know, instead of give you a tablet, they're going, okay, let's sit down for a few more minutes and let's look at movement. It's, it's certainly changing. Like, I know GPs that are moving into functional medicine. It's just, you know, it's a shame for the pioneers of functional medicine because they've been banging on about this for years, right? And we've moved into trying to what we're doing. It's like functional medicine because mm-hmm. functional medicine is about lifestyle medicine, right? Um, yeah, I think I think it's start, I think they're at the stage where the kindling's going on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think Rangan's been fortunate enough to be in a position where he we got on the BBC and it just went boom, and it's as if someone just put the light there and it started it. And now it's going to be about, I guess, how many other GPs sit around that fire and start working on the bellows of it. I think it's grow. I think it's growing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd, I'd love to see it just suddenly just go boom and ignite. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, because I, I, you know, between what you guys, what you do, and you know, uh, what is food, nutrition, and you know, there's, there's a lot more than just the tablets, right? And we all know that. Everybody knows that. Well, again, like dealing with simple things like depression. I mean, I had to go through it. I, I had a business, a, a gym that was in West Hampstead, right? And we put everything into it. I put every bit of money I had into it. And it was all this same stuff, just I wasn't being authentic because I was dealing with my early suffering, still self-medicating because the more stressed I got, the more it just drove me back here. And like I was saying earlier, the more emotional stress you got, the more you try and pacify it. And there was one occasion when I, I was just standing there presenting this very same model on about movement and social needs and spiritual needs and emotional needs and this train just bulleted past the building and shook the whole thing and I had this moment of I'm a fraud you know bam and I know properly like a crash of me within a month I'd close the gym I had to go bankrupt and we had no money we had nothing left but I needed to go through that it was like a proper breakdown in order to break through and then out of that ashes of that I could grow something and all I was growing was exactly the same, just living, being that thing, that lifestyle that I knew everything about. I just wasn't authentically being it. So I think, you know, I, I, I do believe that we, we, there's a massive transition, there's a massive transformation occurring now. There's more and more um, people coming forward. There's more and more people, people that have dealt with mental health issues today. But it's still on the rise. Why is it still on the rise? It's purely lifestyle factors because we're, we're medicating more than ever. So how are we medicating more than ever and still having more depression, more mental illness than ever? And it has to be just the lifestyle component, right? So take out the drip feed of meds and look at the lifestyle level and just make simple, small changes. I think it's partly, you know, we're, this generation where we're on, everything is on, 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 on. And until we learn to go, ah, there's an off switch, which is lifestyle, right? If I go out in nature, simple one, go for a walk, do your meetings outside. I do this thing, about, I call it an outdoor challenge, set a timer for two hours, 24 minutes, try and accumulate that each day, that's 10% of your time outdoors. 
90% still indoors. That's a lifestyle factor that makes a big change. Breath work. Again, breath work is like, you can literally, I had a guy with, with major depression come in, like years and years of depression, ex-police, forensic, seen so much trauma, and just scarred by it, you know, everything on the rocks, family life on the rocks, the whole thing. And we just sat and we just, I said, look, I'm just gonna teach you some simple breath work, I want you to do it every day. And he came to a workshop like three months after we put together, which is movement, breath, and ice baths, right? Because again, that's dealing with trauma. And he just, it was like a different guy. He just said, I can't tell you how different it feels. And it's because you can change any moment in a breath. Once you understand how to breathe, of course. And that's where lifestyle coaching comes in. It's just someone coming in and saying, here's your own breath guru, like earlier. Yeah. Here's a nature guru. Mm -hmm. Here's a movement guru. You just, again, you get bolt-ons. And it's, I guess the skill is at the moment in the coaching experience is knowing what pill to give them. Okay. Yeah, because that was my next question. Because uh, we we with so much um, backlog of this. Yeah, take a pill for anything. Oh, and by the way, that pill is giving you this. So take another one, and and, and so on and so forth. And it's it's that quick fix. It doesn't even fix, but it it's easy. You know, I can yeah, I yeah. can say take a pill. It's easy. I if you say go for a ten minute walk, it is easy, but. It it's not as easy as the, the pill. Until you get the habit. And we're all after a magic pill, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. And I think what they show with depression, the pill doesn't heal depression. Yeah. It suppresses the depression, right? Yeah. And whereas, again, breath work, even getting into cold. So I coach this, um, the, the guy's 78 now, but he's just about turned 78. He came to me at 72 when he learned how to walk. And then we went through, like, stooped over like this, crumpled up posture, we went through all the groundwork, foot drills, got him in vivos, then he had a, and he's put a pull-up bar in his office, and he has a standing desk, has air purifier, does a smoothie of probiotics, prebiotics, symbiotics. And why is he doing it? Because he knows every bit that he's putting in, he just feels better and better. And then everyone just stops and says, I can't believe how well you're looking, you know? The guy gets on the tube in the morning, he hangs on the rails, right the handrail, and he squats. So when the train's moving, he's holding on the rail. When the door opens, he's squatting. That's his whole route to work at the age of 77. He's, he's now walked Bhutan, Mount Kenya, Atlas Mountains, Everest Base Camp, right? He's just like, it's just accelerated for him. And yet, I, ha I, I did a move, the Move, Breathe, Chill workshop, you know, saying about what's the clientele like? Again, we had people in their 20s and we had this guy who was 77. And Yehudi was born and he was dead, basically, he's so still, and they put him on a cold slab to resuscitate. And so when I first said, I want to get you in the freezer, like, no, totally just walls went up, like amazing. This is someone that's very, very open to anything I would want to coach him. I'm not, I can't do it, Tony. I just can't do it. I'm, ter I'm terrified of the cold. So his trauma from that early trauma is sitting in his reptilian brain. He has no, no nothing conscious about it. You know, it goes way back. So knowing where to tackle that, you know, how do, how do you deal with that? And again, it was like, I had to, I had to basically, I was on messaging, I was recording while talking to him, like a 45 minute segment like this podcast. And he, he, he's there, he's there at the podcast, he's there at the um, workshop, he's in the circle, explaining this whole situation. And he got in the ice. And when you heard that guy, he's screaming, he's roaring, it was proper primal roaring and he let go of something. And what a shame he didn't—he wasn't exposed to that. Yeah. 
when he was seven, 17, 27, you know, what, that he's had to wait for the seventh age of man to get to the point where he can heal himself of that huge trauma. But here's the interesting thing. That trauma also has a positive effect. This guy was the guy who brought natural birthing into the UK. Oh, wow. You know? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I was born, I was the longest baby on record in Reading Hospital. So I had these special boots and had a bar that ran across them. And so my feet were turned like this, completely deformed that way. And they would put, turn my feet out, do the bolts up. So I mean, mad, it must have been incredibly traumatic. And even the conversations that would have gone around, like my mum would have been freaking out, you know, and their son's got this disability and whatever was going on. And in September, I'm running from Land's End to John O'Groats barefoot. Wow. Do you know what I mean? So there's like, yeah, yeah. there's something in the trauma yeah, if yeah. we navigate it. That's why I think that anything, whatever way that anyone gets out of this conversation is that part of the conversation, it's not happening to you. It is literally happening. It happens for you, you know? Right. And we should be able to turn that around. And there isn't a pill for that, by the way. No. There's just... And then you're doing this run in September? Yeah, why, so... Why we, are you doing it? Why am I doing it? I've, want, I've wanted to do this. I've wanted to do this for probably five, maybe longer, six years. I just don't feel like I've really had the headspace to do it. And I, I, wanna, I, I just want to create something around it. And I also feel that that trauma... I did, a, I did a ceremony, like a big plant medicine ceremony, ayahuasca ceremony, um, October, I think. And... This intention going in, I wanted to understand freedom. What is freedom? So first of all, this voice comes in. Freedom is innate in all of us, Tony, and we're, we're, we're born with freedom. That's the point. But the problem is, as parents, the responsibility of the parents is to enable the child to not have attachment. Because what we do from the moment we're born, or the child is born, we start handing them stuff, which is called materialism. And the more stuff we hand them, the more we remove from them their freedoms. And then... In that ceremony, then, was about attachment, that this voice then says, but the thing is, Tony, your freedom can be gone in a moment. <laughs> and then there was no medicine. So I'm now sitting in the room with everyone on their medicine, and I've got nothing, because I shouldn't be attached to the medicine even, do you understand? Anyway, um, but what came up for me was my boots, and that my parents still have these boots, right? they kept them, and it was like this, it was almost felt like, Part of me doing the run is me putting that trauma to bed. Great story. Great story. We'll keep an eye on you. Before you give me a last song, I always ask everybody to give me two words of wisdom, a couple of words of wisdom, just whatever gets you up in the morning. Anything. A quote, anything else. Well, I think it, I, I'll stick with my, um, we can't live in nature, but it doesn't mean we can't live naturally. And that can imply, you could even have that, um, if I'm waking up in the morning, we can't all sleep in, that, in nature, but it doesn't mean we can't sleep naturally. That's good. We can't all move, in that, you know, you just, yeah, yeah. you can apply Yeah, 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 apply to everything. Sounds great. Yeah, man. What's your last song we're going to leave the listeners with? This is George Ezra, Drawing Board. So, um, we lived in Ibiza, as I was explaining earlier, and we had this amazing setup, so it meant we could really live it. And it, got, it was an opportunity, actually, to gain more understanding of what it is we need and could we take that wherever we are in that nomadic kind of aspect? But it meant I would be working in London for Tuesday, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and then flying over to Ibiza. The kids in Katerina are an amazing setup. They've been there all the whole time. But no matter what the kids would say, 
my, Millie would say she hated it because I wasn't there. And now we're, now we're here, like, oh, we much prefer it here, Papa, because we're all together. And then you realise that, you know, you think you're doing these amazing things, but it's about the family, social, emotional state that needs to be improved. Anyway, they would drop me off or pick me up. And as soon as I got in the car, the kids would say, Papa, can we have George Ezra? Can we have George Ezra? And then they wouldn't quite know the words. And Millie would call, there's a, there's a part in there about snakes. And Millie would go, can we have that snake song? I want the snake song. And it would just stay with me. So on the, even on the flight back, that memory of that drop-off, would, it would just stay with me for the entire journey. It kind of kept me through my three days, I think. Just, yeah, man. Just the warmth. That's it. That's fabulous. Well, Tony Riedel, thanks a million. Very inspiring conversation. Thank you, really man. Enjoyed it's been it. great. Thanks, it. Thanks for coming over. I feel your pillowcase are with snakes The man eating kind Though you call yourself a woman I doubted they were mine Oh my One problem with my plan You spend your nights with another man Oh, you don't rest your head with mine no more I gotta take my plug back to the drawing board Oh, my, oh, oh, my Oh, my, my Oh, lady, I'm a If you got this far in the podcast, I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, it would be great if you could leave a review on iTunes or a couple of stars. It would be much appreciated and very helpful. Thank you.